All the latest news, views and reaction to the A-League, the Socceroos and Australian football. This is 442 FM. Welcome to 442 FM, our ultimate football podcast, as we like to call it. Uh, no Adam Jackson this week because he's down in Melbourne being all cultured and coffee infused. Uh, so instead, it's just the core team of uh, former soccer skipper uh, Johnny Davidson in the UK. World Cup winner, thank you. Oh, sorry, you're the World Cup winner, that's right. And, I'm uh, ex You're the ex soccerer yeah, con yeah. Stamacostas. Uh, and I'm, of course, uh, Kevin Ayers in my part-time. Um, I've always just been uh, Sunday League ligger, unfortunately. Um, it's been a big week for Socceroos, past and present. I think it's been a massive week for Australian football. There's been so much going on, on and off the field... The ten-year celebration of the Socceroos qualifying for uh, the World Cup. Um, that match was celebrated. Uh, Australia versus Uruguay. Then you had the Frank Lowy, Frank Lowy saying goodbye. Yes. Um, and we also had a do- documentary on ABC as well. I thought that was pretty big. Yeah. Um, you had the two Socceroos games, and then you had uh, Derby Derby round in the A League. And Ange Postecoglou Australian story as well. That's right. It was just. It's just it's been a Socceroos blitz. We've taken over. <laughs> It's amazing. Um, Johnny, did you get to see much of uh, the off-the-field events that have been going on over in the UK? Was there much talk uh, of it? Uh, I would have to say no. I mean, obviously, a lot of talk on social media. I did get a chance to watch the Australian story um, last night on Ange. I haven't had a chance to watch the November 6th, and that was, that was fantastic. I mean, great insight into, obviously, Ange himself, but also football in general, and um, you know, a bit of a flashback to that. Craig Foster interview, which uh, if anyone hasn't seen, they've been living under a rock, and they should definitely go on YouTube and watch. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a career-defining interview, that one, wasn't it? Oh, that's that's one of the best things uh, ever on Australian football TV. That was... It, when you say one of the best things, do you think it was a good thing? Uh, I just think because where Angie's now, that's what makes it awesome. Because Angie has won the Asian Cup with the Socceroos, and he's he must love watching that. Like, if, if he doesn't do so well and, you know, he, he gets sacked from from coaching the under-20 team and then disappears, then it's not a good story. But there's a story of redemption there and kind of you can look at that and go, ha-ha, take that, Craig Foster. And I think there would be a cue. Yeah, that's very true. I think Craig Foster still takes the credit for the whole Ange Postecoglou <laughs> reinvention. Right. It's all down to his uh, <laughs> instigation, and uh, I'm sure he'd still like to see a panel of ex Socceroos captains like uh, yourself <laughs> yes, yes. and John to uh, go over the t- team's team lists before any game. Um, I think every decision should be made by a panel of ex Socceroos captains. I think that's, I think that's probably right. Definitely. Yeah. I can see where he was going with that. It was such a good idea. Uh, there was absolutely no flaws with that plan whatsoever. Um, <laughs> But Ange persisted on making his own squad selection, uh, despite everything. Yeah, for ignored the, the panel. Ignored the panel, went with his own selection for the game in Canberra against 
The Bad Kyrgyzstan. Hand and Scrabble, Kyrgyzstan. Uh, you and I were there. Yes. We actually went down. We drove down, we drove back. Road trip. Yo. Uh, it was uh, it was a good game. Uh, I thought it was a bit shaky for the first 20 minutes. I, um, I thought the Socceroos uh, had a weird formation. Um, they had four defenders and then four central midfielders and then two strikers up front. What happened to the 4-3-3... National Curriculum Dutch Mafia. That's for development. That's not. That's oh, not okay. for. That's not for the real world. That's so- just for development. Soccerers do whatever they want. Everyone else has to follow the rules. Okay. Uh, yeah, but once they. But it was very narrow. I mean, it yeah. was so central based. Yeah. There was no words to it whatsoever as as it actually started. And he was uh, experimenting as well during a World Cup qualifier. Usually, Ange does that during friendlies. We had this debate on the time, and to be honest, if you were ever going to do any experimentation, I felt this was the, the game to be doing it, mm. because we were at home, it wasn't the highest quality of opposition, we'd seen what they were capable of off at their best at home, obviously, mm. so we knew the strengths, we knew our weaknesses, and we knew that we needed to develop the squad, and that was a good time to be doing it, so I, I didn't actually have any problems with experimentation mm. in this game. John, you watching from the UK, what was your uh, immediate impressions uh, there, uh, was. there was a beautiful um, live YouTube uh, broadcast, which was great. Uh, yeah, I thought um, I thought that the Socceroos were, were fairly decent. Um, great to see good crowd in Canberra and Canberra getting a game. And um, I think the highlight was, was James Meredith. And I've sort of been watching him play uh, for Bradford over here for quite a while, interviewed him a few times over the sort of last 18 months, close to two years, and I think he you know much deserved chance and um, yeah I think he, he, he did really well. He had a he was a bit uh, shaky in the initial uh, few minutes yep. of the game I thought and a bit like Maslonga was actually in the Asian Cup had the same feelings that oh maybe he's just out mm. of his depth uh, but again like Maslonga settled into the role uh, and really shone. I, uh, I thought uh, he was responsible for a lot of the width that the Socceroos had and I interviewed him after the game and he said that, like, that was that was the reason why they had four central midfielders playing. They wanted to keep the the shape narrow, draw the Kyrgyzstan plays into the centre to provide space for him uh, and the other fullback to run forward. So, um, actually, I thought he played once he settled down. It looked like he was a twenty cap soccerer the way he was playing. I thought so. Um, yeah, that was a good story to come out of that. And Tim Cahill does it again, but he should have done it again about two or three more times. I oh, and the, the, the scoreline was was hardly a fair reflection of uh, Socceroos' attempts. But, as I said at the time, we've got to be more clinical. Mm. Uh, when we come up against a better class of opposition, we're not going to get as many chances as that. And that kind of strike rate of goals per shots on target isn't going to be enough later on. Uh, but you know it's always a good sign to see us peppering the goal and what a difference Kyrgyzstan was as a team when you went, when you play these teams away they're so much stronger the the away uh, factor is so huge and when they come to Australia they just fall into a heap I think you've also probably got a lot of travel issues yeah. with that as well I mean it, it is a long journey and not many people make Mm. We're so used to long journeys that we tend to forget about the impact that that yeah. has on other players uh, and other teams. Um, but yeah, uh, what did uh, have you been to Canberra as a as a venue before you went to the UK? Yeah, I have. Um, I have a couple of 
couple of times to actually see uh, Super Rugby, and um, I actually quite like. Uh, I mean, I think Canberra cops a bit of a bad um, not having lived there. I suppose I can speak uh, with some, without full experience, but cops a bad rap from some people. I think it's a great place to sort of go down and see some sport. Um, you know, it's quite some nice pubs and, and bars to frequent. Uh, they are very well spread out, which is probably the only issue. But um, no, I think it's a great place. Um, you know, Canberra, there's um, you know, great for a weekend and go down. I think it's a good facility, Bruce Stadium or whatever it's called these days. It used to be Bruce Stadium, um, and it's a hotbed of, of football. I mean, you look at the the players that have been produced there from your Zolichs to your Rogiches, Topol Stanley, Valeri, um, Steve Lustica. There's quite a few others, so um, yeah, I think I think Canberra's a great spot. It's good to see, as we saw with the Perth game in uh, the Bangladesh game in Perth. You know, we need to sort of share these games around, not just you know ping them for for Melbourne and Sydney. I think it's an interesting uh, philosophy by the FFA to send these minor uh, qualifying games to the regions and places that haven't had a Socceroos game for a while, because they are going to be guaranteed. A reasonable crowd, just because of the, the novelty mm. factor of having the Socceroos in town. Um, but that said, I can't say nineteen thousand. It was about nineteen thousand, I think. Well, I had, was was a great crowd for Canberra. Well, I heard uh, that the Category A tickets were eighty dollars. Yeah, for that game. And if it's eighty dollars, that's it's a lot of dosh. Yeah, mind you, Paris Glory charging seventy one for their Category A home games. Yeah, so but that's still pretty good. It's I'd rather twenty thousand at. Uh, Bruce Stadium than twenty thousand at Stadium Australia. Oh, without or uh, yeah. MCG. MCG. So, <laughs> so uh, it's great. It's good to have the atmosphere there. It makes a much better atmosphere. And I think because they're so starved of, wasn't it four years between Socceroos games for Canberra? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Malaysia the last one that they played. Yeah. So it's good to see, and it reminds people that we've got a national football team. And a national capital. <laughs> um, I thought Bruce Stadium itself, or GIO Stadium, as it's now known, yes. um, was an interesting stadium. That's the first time I've actually been to a game there. It it kind of reminded me of a Subutio Stadium. Ah. It, it was like all the bits were there, but it had just been moulded and just plonked down, and nobody had actually thought about the practicalities of beyond making it look like a stadium. Yeah. There was no press room. Yeah. So the the press conference was actually held in the captain's bar, (laughs) and the acoustics were the worst acoustics I've ever, ever had a press conference, and I include uh, some of the cavernous halls that we've had. The ANZ Stadium uh, in Sydney is a huge, big press room, and the, the noise just reverberates all around. You've got uh, Central Coast Mariners, which is literally a broom cupboard, uh, but at least you can hear everything. This, I couldn't hear a word. I had my hand, I was in the second row, and my hand cupped over my ear, leaning forward, desperately trying to catch everything. And I missed the best line of the, the night uh, as a result. The girl next to me yeah. said, watched me tweet all the whole press conference, yeah. said, do you want that line about the, the score? I went, what was that? Just, <laughs> and I'd have preferred we'd won 10 0. <laughs> he said that? No idea. Never heard it. Never heard a thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that could probably, if we were going to be spending money in new stadiums and 
introducing new clubs. Yeah, I think Bruce Stadium needs a bit of a renovation. And I think um, just um, I'd have to ask you guys. You probably didn't get a chance to to get a beer, but when I was there as a fan a couple of years ago, the highlight was that it was fifteen year olds, you know, serving drinks, serving <laughs> oh. alcohol. Wow. Which I remember me and my friend got, got four beers each and we were like, that was pretty good work from a 15-year-old, but that's camera for you. Lovely stuff. <laughs> Child slave labour behind the bars. <laughs> I, th- I think one of the, one of the, um, another thing that major factors that came out of this game was when I was in the mix zone waiting to interview the players after the game, I saw Frank Lowy and David Gallup come out of the um, Socceroos dressing room and get, David Gallup was saying to Frank Lowy, see, I told you you didn't need uh, a speech, a written speech. And I got to thinking, and that was Frank Lowy's last ever game watching the Socceroos because he left. As, he as, chairman. Under, as chairman. As chairman, yeah. So, He's not dead yet. No, but... <laughs> um, just, just, to be, just to be clear. He's dead to me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, so he, he went into the Socceroos dressing room and gave the team uh, his final speech as chairman. Um, I thought that was a significant moment. Mm. And um, he, was, he looked very emotional about that as well. And apparently Gallup was saying they were talking about, you know, not having a speech. So he must have just done it off, ad, must have just ad-libbed it. Mm. So I think yeah, it is very much the end of an era uh, for football uh, with him hanging up his checkbook. Which never <laughs> was just full of moths because it never actually got used. Oh. It just used government money instead, and fans' money, and young players' money. Um, In the documentary, he said he used a lot of his money for the World Cup bid. He reckons. Uh, he said he used it for the German travel uh, for Hargitay. Was it not Hargitay, or was it well, travel? I think, I think- I think it was for yeah travel, his own expenses, flying around the world to wining to and dining, and dine. yeah, you know, the expensive and hotel pearl necklaces, in, uh, Switzerland, steady, yeah. oh, <laughs> a legend. Sorry, yeah. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch that documentary uh, played uh, yet, but, but by all accounts, um, it's pretty generous to FFA and to Frank Lowy, and it's it's hard to see how someone who has his experience in business globally can be that naive into the inner workings of FIFA. But yep. anyway. I was talking about it actually with my partner uh, before we watched it and she was saying, so what do you think the insight, what, what did actually happen? Mm. So, well, you've got three options. Either we were corrupt, we were naive, or we were stupid. Yes. And possibly a bit of one from each, yes. uh, to be honest. I think, you know... We couldn't have... We were very naive, there is no doubt about it. We were stupid in a lot of things we did. Whether we... And obviously, we weren't corrupt, because lawyers would insist that we said that. Mm. Um, but we certainly made... We tried to play FFA at the wrong game. And FIFA, you mean? Sorry, uh, FIFA. Yeah. Um, at the wrong game. And uh, we were just swimming with much, much bigger fish that could just blows out of the water with the resources they had. What I thought was interesting about the documentary was the f- how they showed footage of uh, the preparations leading up to the final vote and how Frank Lowy thought it was going to be a history-making. So he had someone in his circle film everything like they were on tour. You know, when, you, when you're a band and you're on tour and you film, back, you film backstage? and yeah. So they, they thought there was going to be a history-making event happening and they wanted to document everything. But it just it showed an insight into Frank Lowy's circle that the only people who were there running things was his biographer, his two sons, and an advisor. 
And there was no football people around. There was AFL spy Ben Buckley in the room who didn't actually seem to say anything. <laughs> but I think it. I thought that I that just was a great insight into you know who was in charge, who was running the FIFA bid, the FFA bid, and it just was like I don't know. It was really that was naive too, thinking the. You're filming yourself thinking it's going to be history-making, but in the end you just filmed, you filmed failure. There was also, I mean, a couple of disingenuous comments from Lowy too, that uh, one, he said he hadn't been advised as subtly on this as he would do with some of his other projects yeah. in the shopping centre world. Yeah. That's not true. Mm. That's blatantly not true. Benita Mercedes got the arse, resigned, whatever, because she spoke out and told him, advised him about what he was getting into bed with. Uh, so that in itself is not true. Uh, and um, the other disingenuous comment was that, uh, well, no, we didn't know about FIFA in those days. Well, that's also not true because, oh, that'll be your phone, Con. Uh, that's also not true because Andrew Holy Jennings had already released his uh, book, Foe. Uh, beforehand, and it was all starting to unravel. Now that was slightly more historical than the the current setup of yeah. uh, FIFA, but it was clear that there was there was something rotten in the state of Denmark uh, even then. Uh, and since then, it has unravelled even more. But it's very disingenuous to pretend that he hadn't been briefed and he didn't know. Uh, we, we knew I mean, what we were getting into. Might as well be honest about it. But exactly. Miss- I mean. It- I think you people in football now, you can look back at the 2006 World Cup when uh, uh, Germany and, and South Africa um, and the you know Charlie Dempsey, Dempsey uh, um, abstaining from Oceania for the crucial vote that the I mean, these things have been going on for, for years, haven't they? And I think the um, the interesting thing from the Frank Lowe point of view, you know, he thought he was going to we were going to win, and his reaction, obviously, quite pissed off that. You know he's used to getting his own way, isn't he? And he doesn't react well when when he doesn't. People don't do what he says, and we've seen that throughout the last couple of years, especially. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that really irked me as well from that documentary was Seth Blatter's face. I mean, he always annoys me at the best of time, but honestly, that Prince of Darkness. Ah, uh, that smirk, that little prissy mouth smiley came up with when he insisted he was the one who voted for Australia. It was either him or Beckenbauer. I don't care which one it was, but ah, uh, just that smirk. Ah, uh, there's not enough bad things can happen to him. Uh, uh, they're both. They're both particularly dodgy, and I think Beckenbauer's soured a lot of his legacy as a great player by his involvement with FIFA and. Uh, Likewise, Platini. But when you oh, had yeah, Elmer Cold, when he had Elmer McPherson on the stage, and, she, and he and Lowy says, "This is my first prize, and the World Cup beat is my second prize." I, I just was like, "You what? You've got to be joking!" I mean, one just how inappropriate that was for in the FIFA environment but two it's just the whole El McPherson thing was just low level pimping prostitution terribly degrading derogatory oh it was awful the whole bid presentation I mean fair play the decision had already been made so it didn't really make any difference in the scheme of things but the cartoon kangaroo, the AFL still had the camera. Oh, was that in the original? No, the I can't cutter. believe they had that in the. And it was a German company. What's a German company doing producing an Australian World Cup bid? That's outrageous. And they had uh, AFL players with the World Cup trophy 
doing chucking it around. Oh my gosh! I it's was fuming. Just that is outrageous. Insane. Such that is outrageous. I mean, there had to be people in there that should have said no. I mean, it just depth. has to be. And I, I interviewed Benita Messiades about this. I had a long conversation with her about the World Cup bid, and it seems to me when she was there, I think it was it was run much better, especially the video before that. Do you remember there was another video before that? There yes. was another presentation. That looked amazing, that video. That was, the, was that the one where the ball was flying around? Yeah. 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 That was much better. Yeah. But then when she leaves, all of a sudden it started unravelling. SBS was firing journalists and um, uh, all of a sudden uh, Baker and McKenzie were coming up with, were writing articles as well from The Age saying, um, you know, uh, alleged corruption. Ale- uh, they were alleging uh, ethically unsound behaviour. Yeah. Not so, specifically not yeah, corruption. Yeah, not corruption, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just... It's such a shame, and it's it's going to be years before we can have another bid, I reckon, before we yeah. try. Yeah, I mean, that... Uh, I think there was a, a poignant moment where they had interviews with fans in the street after the uh, decision had been made, and I think those fans that turned out in the middle of the night in December 2010 oh, were very optimistic that they were going to have anything to celebrate Sydney Olympics, though. Um, but there was one interview with one of the... the a woman on the street that had come out for her and she was, you know, a middle-aged woman who just said, that's it I'm never going to see the World Cup in my home country Yeah, uh, and I think that's very sad, there is, you know a couple of generations there that will never get that chance uh, who knows if, they, if we will ever get the chance um, but yeah, I think that the bottom line was we probably went too soon but if we didn't do it for that one, it was going to be long, long after uh, Frank Louis' death before we'd ever have any chance of, of getting it here. And you would think the next time we do beat it's not going to be a disaster like this one was. It depends who we're up against mm. and depends how much reform has gone through uh, uh, FIFA mm. by then, but certainly... I d- yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we'd want to be involved in the bidding at, at this point or nearby because it's just, uh, it's just a joke of a process. Yeah, I mean, I think we just have to see how uh, what's going to happen in the next six months or so, yeah, uh, yeah. and how FIFA reshapes, reforms. Um, anyway, we still had another game to play, uh, and this was against Bangladesh in Dakar, despite the uh, the threat of terrorism and everything else uh, after a, a traumatic weekend. Um, I think my takeaway from all of that was. Aaron Moy is the greatest thing that's ever happened to the Socceroos <laughs> in about 10 years and with no Aaron Moy there is no goals Wow, that's a, that's a big call but it, that game showed uh, how big of an impact he has the balls that he was crossing in unbelievable he's, and he's cl- I, I, it is Bangladesh but you could t- Moy and Cahill are a step above even the Australian players I think yeah, and I think, you know, but having said that, Moy is working up partnerships. He was working up not mm. so much with Bangladesh, but in the uh, Kyrgyzstan, there was a, the good one-twos he was doing with uh, Longo. Yeah. Uh, and he just rips it up. I mean, honestly, I, I've just been raving about him mm. all this season. Uh, Last season as well, I remember you were. Yeah, I just, I'm just amazed at how well he's developing and how 
great he is coming through. And it's astonishing that a player at the age of 24, 25, he's just turned 25 in September, has just accelerated that mm. development so much in the past 18 months or so. Um, I honestly, truly, and this is a huge call I know, but I honestly think he's going to be the biggest Socceroo, as big a Socceroo as we've ever had. Uh, I can see him... Whoa. Even if he stays in the A-League and just... No, no, not if he stays in the A-League. He's, he's got to... He will go overseas. It's just a case of choosing the right time and the right club. I can see him mm. actually going to several of the big... The top four. Oh, really? I, I could see him settling wow, in there. I would have thought maybe Dutch. Maybe the, the Dutch League. But uh, he's... Um, uh, he's He reminds me of those Socceroos... Uh, uh, from the golden generation and before, where they don't, they don't, um, they they only start to peak around twenty four, twenty five. Australian players generally don't peak from a young age, unless you're, say, Viduka or Kuehl. I think Emerton was up there as well. But most Australian players, twenty four, twenty five, by the time they you start to see their quality. And I think uh, Aaron Moy is in, at his peak at the moment. Uh, I think. Two things. I mean, um, hopefully we see him stay in the A-League for at least this season. But also, I mean, he's, he's a lovely guy, but can we get him some media training? <laughs> <laughs> Is he shy? Uh, I don't know if he's just shy. Yeah, I think, I think shyness is definitely a factor. But just, um, yeah, perhaps not the most open. Uh, yeah, I think he's nice. he seems a nice enough guy, but um, I'd love to see him sort of open up and elaborate a bit more with the media. But, but I think, yeah, Kevin's right. He's, he's got all the skills in his kit bag um, he'll definitely be a loss to the A-League talking about the Jan- January transfer window um, but I'd, I'd like to see him stay in the A-League for a little bit longer Well I mean I think you know Melbourne City's um, results at the weekend just go to show that without Moy they're, yes. they, they're literally gutted mm. I mean they, they have nothing in midfield uh, to compare uh, everything is starts and finishes with Moy and uh, and he's just a sensation. I'm not sure if he's shy or if he's just really quiet, introverted, reserved. Mm. After the uh, the Kurdistan match, um, I was standing at the steps of the exit to the stadium, and on one side uh, the the coaches for all the the players for the Socceroos team and the Kurdistan team, uh, and there was a huge crescent of fans waiting from both sides to meet the the players. Uh, and on the other side of this stairwell was just a tiny little crash barrier, half a dozen people, most of which were friends of Tom Rogic yeah. from Canberra. Uh, and Rogic and Aaron Moy just stood on that side. Uh, Moy happily signed autographs yeah. and posed for pictures with anybody who spotted him, yeah. but they were just so low-key, yeah. not doing any of the... avoiding the glitz. Uh, yeah. When Rogic spoke to his mates for about 10, 15 minutes... When he'd finished and Moy had finished, they just walked back and they did all the they did the whole autograph and everything mm. for the fans before getting on the coach. But they were much happier in that in that small, uh, reserved environment rather they, than the rock star treatment next to them. And they they're probably the two shyest guys in the squad, I reckon. Brian seems pretty shy too. Yeah, I think it, it, again it's just a case of reserved and mm. humble and and they they get the white line fever. Thank goodness for the Socceroos. Yeah, I think also they're possibly wary of bigging themselves up uh, mm. in case the bubble bursts and putting added pressure on themselves when you know the game is developing at a great pace and doing everything right. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, Bangladesh game, 
First half, what a sensation. Ruthless. Legacy. <laughs> I, will make, I think we will make fun of Tim Cahill and that legacy stuff, but he's just amazing. He is. Oh, there's no, he's, he's no doubt, there's no doubt he's a freak um, and still putting goals away, but if, if he hasn't got a post-football career in marketing or PR, then, then I'm not here. He's very good at it. He is. He has also mastered the politician's art of answering the question he wanted to be asked, rather than the question that was actually asked. The, uh, I think, the... I think um, Tony Abbott should have should have given him a call. Probably would have called him Tommy Cahill. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could have helped him on the uh, on the PR front. He, he is very good at that. Kevin, well spotted. Definitely, definitely. Um, his, his post-match interviews are, are always a treat. Um, the uh, the goals, though, I mean, uh, when we're down in Bangladesh, a, sorry, when we're down in Canberra for the, the Kyrgyzstan game, uh, it was just obvious. He was getting so many opportunities, and he was getting, he gets up into the air, and he just hovers. Mm. I mean, it really is. It, it's, it, it defies gravity. It Heck. defies nature. Heck, hey, Cahill. He's insane, uh, and he's still as fast and as lithe at approaching thirty-six. And he played. Think, uh, did he? Did he play skip. both games? The majority of the games, yeah, as well. Yeah, I haven't seen him. Yeah. Usually, he's been used sparingly. So. Well, it's off season in China, isn't it? So, oh, he's got the cup final to come, I think. Has yeah, it? it is. Yeah, yeah it's uh, off season. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think I remember hearing something before the World Cup saying how he was. Weight-wise, he was lighter than, you know, in his sort of prime days at Everton. That, that's right. He was still the same weight and same body fat as he was at Millwall, yeah, so just if shows, not better. I mean, he's, a, he's a consummate professional in terms of preparation, and he's obviously, um, you know, that determined to, to hang on and, and, and keep producing that he is, you know, working uh, overtime to, to stay at that level. Yeah. Second half, though, um, Ange made his changes at half-time. And it all just fell apart. Yeah, that was... You would have been upset if you uh, just caught the second half of that game and missed the first half, because they really didn't do much. Um, I'm disappointed a little bit with Troisi the last couple of games. Yep. I don't know, he just looks, I agree. He doesn't look there. Um, There's a lot of sharpness seems yeah. to have gone out of his game. Uh, but, yeah. I don't think playing in the Middle East is really going to help him in that regard. Yeah. It's too early to, uh, for him, I would have thought. But anyway, I thought um, in both the games, I know Jednak had a, a couple of wayward passes, uh, which I think were the result of being lack of match sharpness. Um, but having said that, he was doing some deft little touches mm. and back heel. Oh, sorry, yeah, back heel. Uh, Go Jednak. And side no look passes and stuff like that. And mm. That's just not the Yednak game that I'm no. used to. And it's maybe he's trying to transform himself into a Zidane. Could be, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it was really interesting. Rogic has already got that. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I think there was you know masterful return to uh, to form for the most part. It just the whole backline looks so much more solid. When Jednak's in front of it, mm. just gives that level of protection and confidence uh, that the rest of the team can build around, uh, knowing that you, you know you, you're pretty well protected at the back. Um, the other takeaway from it for me was Nathan Burns. 
just is an excitement machine, isn't he? Yeah, but he just needs a final product. Yeah. Against Bangladesh and Kyrgyzstan, he should be putting goals away. Yeah. So that's... Yeah, I, and I don't think he's been playing a lot in Japan either. I think he's been coming off the bench mostly too. So that is a worry because uh, our players are still not playing regularly. Luongo's not playing regularly. Um I think Luongo, Luongo has been. It's only been a couple of games oh, really? lately that he hasn't. I thought the yeah, last I think, month he hasn't been. Yeah, I, just before, just before um, power sacked, I saw him on, on Friday Night Football when he played. He actually had, I think he hit the bo- hit the post with one shot and yeah. um, might have had another save. So he, he has been playing, I think, basically 80% of the games. But it'll be interesting now with Warnock, Neil Warnock in charge now, um, yeah, whether he does play. And Federici. Got a touch in the ball in the opposition half after 11 minutes. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been racking my brains and I'm sure it must happen. I cannot remember ever seeing that happen before that early in a game. He's the sweeper keeper. <laughs> in the opposition half. <laughs> Jeez. That's, I mean, I know you didn't have much to do in Kyrgyzstan, and, but that's a long way to come forward to get yourself into the game. Uh, good on him. But another thing I think we should mention is that Kyrgyzstan beat Jordan. Yes. So that, huge result. That's massive for that's the Socceroos. That's a huge result for that, us. I think that calms everyone down, calms the anxiousness of having to beat uh, Jordan at home to I get think, the top spot. That's that's awesome. I think we should, you know, in all fairness, um, you know, looking at the home advantage, I think we should account for Jordan at home relatively easy. Um, yeah, but, but that, that, that result definitely doesn't, doesn't hurt things, does it? No. No, I mean, you would certainly hope that we can take care of uh, Jordan, but there will still be our toughest test uh, out of the whole group. And I think the, there's always that level of weariness and shouldn't take anything for granted, as they say. That's true, that's true. Uh, we still don't get venues confirmed for these home, two remaining home matches, have oh, we? really? And also some big friendlies. Apparently I know Con's on the edge of his seat. Uh, apparently Greece. Excellent. So we can look forward to a new yeah, it's, it's a flashback to the eighties when the Greeks the were struggling. The bus from Fabulous nil nil looming. Showpiece. Sell out the MCG. Actually that probably still will sell out the MCG, wouldn't oh, it? I don't know. I, I mean the last time they sold out they were they were European champions, right? So this time they Yeah, um, but Came last. Those Melbourne Greeks, they'll yeah. they'll pay 120 bucks to see the. Yeah, they will. It'd be quite funny if um if two of that that Australian striker whose name escapes me. Giannu. He's doing quite well. Yes, that's the one. If he, because it sounds like he's on the verge of getting capped by Greece if uh, he plays against us. Wouldn't that be a? Ooh, oh, be that would be very controversial. Yeah. I got his number. Maybe I should tell him to stay with the Australians. I'll get my mum to call him up. Um, before we move on, let's just hear from, uh, just remind us who we are. Here's a couple of messages from our Socceroos. This is Trent Sainsbury and you're listening to 442 FM podcast. And we're back. Wow. How good is that? Um, we've got, uh, the other thing to discuss was the 2005 Socceroos reunion. Yes. FFA sold it to us as the 2005 Socceroos reunion, and I think they sold it to Mr. Lowy as your spectacular gala dinner for your farewell. (laughs) 
Because um, 2005 Socceroos seem to be fairly swiftly forgotten once proceedings got underway. Yes, especially when you consider that uh, John Howard, David Gallup and Frank Lowy uh, combined to take more time up speaking about Frank Lowy than anyone spoke yeah. about the Socceroos 2005 team during yeah. that gala celebration. But that's that's neither here nor there because I don't want to, you know... Uh, no, uh, two two significant uh, events. It has to be said. Frank Lowy's retirement is is a, a big change in the the landscape for football ahead. Uh, I'm glad to see that you know uh, we went to the full democratic process to to find his replacement. Yes, and co- coincidentally, it turns out to be his son, Stephen. Yes, um, and it's not. There no, should be no hint of nepotism at no, all. No, because best it was man for voted, the job. Best man for the job. The board voted. Yeah. Uh, after a very there was uh, twi- thorough, twi- thorough... 20 million Australians could have stood up yes. against him. Nobody chose to. <laughs> and, you know, that that was good enough for Saddam Hussein. It should be good enough for, for <laughs> FFA. Wow. I love how you compare. I'm not, gonna, I'm not you comparing. Compare, I'm just... I'm just <laughs> you compare the... Uh, <laughs> comparing to Uday. Wow. <laughs> oh, That's just... Uh, I'm slowly moving. Anyway, moving, moving. Sliding away. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. Where were you guys? Ten, ten years ago, where, where were you guys? I was at. I was actually at that game. I know everyone says that, but I was actually there, and I do remember hugging some random South Africans that I've never met before after Johnny Aloisi scored that penalty. Why were South Africans things. even there? Did they just know, get, get on the green and gold bandwagon? You'd turn up at the yeah, wrong match. No, I'm pretty sure they were wearing Socceroos shirts. They were standing behind me and my brother and um, I'd say they were probably migrant South Africans who had moved permanently to it but yeah they were they were pretty happy everyone everyone was happy probably staying in (laughs) Double Bay that game is like Woodstock in America because there's about 30 million people that say they went to Woodstock and I reckon there's about 10 million Australians that say they went to that game but what, why not? Yeah, I was actually there. I was actually there too. <laughs> no, I genuinely was. I was, I, was, was I was up in the uh, the corporate suites. Me, uh, not even fancy. the press box. Aren't we are fancy. Very fancy at the time. Uh, and it has to be stressed that I wasn't actually there on my own invite. I was a plus one. Okay. Um, however, it was uh, it was spectacular. Uh, I was already uh, an Australian fan, having realised quite some time earlier that Australia then had a stronger team than Scotland did, and that was time time to switch allegiances uh, because I like victory and I like to be in the winning side. <laughs> um, and that's not something you get very often with Scotland. So Wallabies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but yes, that goal went in, and as we all know, ANZ is completely concrete, and it's a monstrosity. Yeah. But even in the corporate stands, way up high, the whole place shook. Yeah. It was genu- The earth actually moved with everybody jumping up and down, embracing, and it was just insane. What a night! The what tension, an absolute night. The tension in that game, and when Bresciano scored, we all suddenly. All of us suddenly believed. 80,000 believed. And the tension for the rest of that game, the missed chances and the opportunities that Uruguay had, and then just all these moments that happened, uh, Kuehl coming on, um, uh, penalties. uh, uh, And then when that that goal went in, I've never heard and will never hear a sound like that again, I don't think. Yeah. Never again. I think, as you said, Con, the, the tension and just the emotion of that long wait um, 
yeah, it's by far the best sporting atmosphere I've ever seen. And I've been to Rugby World Cup finals, I've been to World Cups, State of Origin, NRL, Ashes Test, whatever. That's just, yeah, that'll never be beaten. It's just, just magic, that time. It all began with the, the booing of the Uruguayan National Oh, yeah, yes. I mean, from that moment <laughs> that was on, great. we laid down the groundwork that this was an epic match. It was they spat on Stevie Corica. Hacker, I mean, he's three foot tall. Heard a flyer. Hacker just spit on Steve Corica. <laughs> and Frank Frank Lowy during his speech at the gala celebration for Frank Lowy. I mean, <clears throat> the Socceroos. <laughs> <laughs> He, uh, the Uruguay asked uh, the Uruguayan FA asked Frank Lowy if they could uh, if they could uh, share the charter flight, and Frank Lowy in his speech said, "Let them swim," uh, and he also flashed the visa, oh. <laughs> which was just classic, classic, and unfortunately not televised. But uh, yes. we saw it though. We saw it. We reported yeah. here exclusively for four for two listeners. But yeah, nice work, yeah. Uh, Frank Lowy. I think the... I think they should have had. Um... At customs at Sydney, they should have had Ray Bart's there, and as each player came in, karate chopped them. <laughs> Just a payback from '74 as well. <laughs> um, but yes, the uh, the reunion Monday night, everybody there from the team except Mark Schwartzer, yes, Lucas Neal, yes, Harry Kuhl, yes, Mark Viduka, yes, Big Four, Mark Viduka, living life in Croatia, just not interested in no. anything. Harry Cool, under 21's coach at Watford, actually had a pass and tweeted his uh, his best wishes to everybody. Uh, so he at least participated from afar. Yeah. Lucas Neal, Mark Schwarzer. Well, Schwarzer's still with Leicester, right? That's yeah, true. He's yeah, still, that's true. He's still training, and, and I think yeah, he's been on the bench a bit, so I can yeah. understand. But Lucas Neal. Oh, Peter Wilson. He's the he's the. Um, Mystery man, isn't he? He is. He's, he is the new uh, Wilson. Uh, Where is Lucas Neal? I need to get. I think he's in Blackburn by all I need to get up to Blackburn see if I can track him down. Just door knock, maybe a few streets. I, I've never been to beautiful Blackburn, but um, yeah, see if you can. He's find, literally just find. living in Blackburn. Uh, that's what I. One of the rumours that I've heard is that yeah, he's back in Blackburn in the UK and in Blackburn, but um, yeah. You hear quite a few different things, some of them not so good, so hopefully he's, he's doing okay. But, um, yeah, it's a strange one. Um, one of the... Uh, I got a chance to interview some of the Socceroos uh, who were part of that squad. I interviewed Aloisi, and an interesting quote that came out is he's seen that replay of him scoring the penalty so many times that it, he said it doesn't, even, it doesn't feel like it's me. Mm. Like, yeah, isn't that a surreal thing? Like, just an out of body experience. Yeah, for 10 years, it's an out of body experience, and he sees it so many times. Um, I think that's an insight into cele- uh, being a celebrity, moving from, you know, transcending the football world and just being a celebrity. That it's, it must be weird. Like, it is him, but not to think that it's you. That must yeah. be a weird feeling. I also spoke to, uh, to Bresciano briefly and, uh, got the chance to, to get a picture of him and I said I came up to him and said Look, don't know how you feel about this but I really love you to do the, the statuesque pose yeah again at ANZ and he went oh yeah oh, you know I've not done that ever since that's ten years ago oh yeah I'd love to do that <laughs> awesome <laughs> it's the uh, it's the Eric Cantona isn't it the statue oh absolutely yeah oh it needs yeah. the flipped up collar yeah <laughs> it is the Cantona yeah, Again, just so iconic. Uh, it was brilliant, brilliant. Good to see them all. Joel Griffiths uh, turned up. 
Mm. Uh, looks like he's enjoying enjoying retirement. Yes. There's <laughs> a few <laughs> few extra pounds. Yeah. Maybe a couple of kilos. He's uh, selling home loans. Is that what he's doing? Is he? He runs an Aussie home loans franchise in Newcastle. I can ex- well not exclusive reveal, but uh, <laughs> I can reveal. Yeah. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah, he's looking good on it. Uh, might have to see if he wants to come on the podcast one week. One week, give us his insight. Um, uh, but yes, overall, good night. Even although we got kept in a side room, yes. despite dressing up like extras from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> and um, so I thought you, you your Paul Media got didn't get uh, you got shuttled off. Yeah, we, we saw it on the screen. We, outside. we watched by CCTV. <laughs> that was kind of them. Yeah. Um, but I think the highlight of the night was he- hearing Hiddink's insights into the squad and meeting the squad. I think uh, he was saying the first time he saw the squad, they were turning up in board shorts and thongs, <laughs> and, and he goes to Graham Arnold, he goes, well, what are these guys? They look like a bunch of gypsies. <laughs> so I th- that was pretty funny. And then from then on, you know, they, he made sure that they turned up in uniform, and I think that's a big difference that Hiddink brought, right? It, the it professionalism. The professionalism, yeah. And, and I asked Jason Kleiner... Is that the blueprint for how Australians should conduct themselves on and off the field? Like him coming in, and he said, "Oh, it's not, it's not fair to com- to compare." But I think that's the legacy. If you want to talk about, I, t- I tell you though, legacies, I, I was that's... surprised by that because I thought uh, Terry Venables would have in- introduced that mm. uh, standard. Mm. But I guess we, there was a few intervening years of Frank Farina, yeah, and maybe standard slipped under Frank, yeah, uh, a lot eight years. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it would be a different generation, I guess. But you still would have thought that Frank, the, the legacy of the Terry Venable years would have uh, lived on a little bit. Um, but yes, it was it was good night, and it was good to see Hiddink. That was the, the 2005, that very match was what convinced me of Hiddink's genius uh, up until that match. I thought, obviously a great manager, mm. but not necessarily one of the greats, but that move with Kuehl, uh just in that game yeah. just went, oh my God, what a great way of thinking mm. outside the box. Don't have him on for an hour yeah. and leave him off for the last half hour when yeah. it could be and crucial. Leave him off for the first half hour and bring him on for the last half yeah. hour. Last hour. Also, also the same with, um, with Gail against Japan. Yes, so very not, much. Not playing him and obviously that kind of would have pissed him off, pissed him off and fired him up and then bring him on and um, change the game, didn't Yeah. It? You know, those those are the little things that become such huge things that completely mm, yeah. change a match. All the uh, the pre-match um, uh, training drills, everything else—that's whole part of it. But it's those kind of insightful um, changes that he, just separate, just lift managers like that from the crowd. And he took turns at pissing off the egos, didn't he? He yep. pissed off Schwarzer. Yep. He pissed off uh, Kuehl, he pissed off Cahill, and he and it was interesting to hear um, to see w- w- the other players that he didn't really do that to. Kalinari really, uh, Kalinari played every game. Um, Viduka replayed every game. I don't think he took Viduka off or put him on the bench. I think no for the Fiji um, was it Fiji qualifier. I think he had him on the bench. So he took turns at pissing pissing um, players off, and I think uh, no one ever did that before. You, they would kind of. Uh, you know the chosen ones, so to speak. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think, I think with that, I think with that too. Um, yeah, pissing pissing people off. I think with Schwarzer and Kalats, he probably stuffed up there. Mm. I was going to say 
Croatia, but you know that's you've got to live and die by your decisions, and in the end, he got the big ones right. I am still surprised that he didn't learn from the penalty shootout. That you know, Schwartz is a good <laughs> keeper. Maybe stick with him. <laughs> Don't mess well, about with the Kalach thing because you never know where it's going to end, maybe, and rightly yeah, enough. I mean, for those who, who know Mark Schwartz's career, and him, I think, I don't know if it was his Socceroo debut or coming in in 1993 against Canada and saving a penalty um, dramatically as a you know young Turk, maybe Arnie told him that uh, at some point. But yeah, you, you would definitely have him on when you've got penalties or definitely. games. I think, you know, even to this day, there's still few keepers that seem to be as good. Uh, facing the penalty spot as Schwarzer, his reflexes just are immense for that. Uh, time and time again, club matches uh, and soccerers, there's no finer keeper to have between the sticks if you've got a spot kick coming up. Uh, even Matt Ryan uh, could learn from him, I think, on that score. Um, but the, yeah, those were the week's events uh, for the Socceroos. Plus, we've had a bit of controversy with Phonegate over at the Mariners too. Phonegate, yeah. Uh, I think um, from what I've from what I've heard, uh, there may be some more goings on in the near future. That's all I can say at the moment. But um, just keep. Who was it? Who's the mole? Who's the mole? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know that. Is it you? Are you? Did you, someone tell you, Johnny? Yeah, I love, love, Look, if, if, if I'm playing for the Mariners, they're definitely going to be struggling, so it's definitely not me. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not on the books of the Mariners. Um, but no, I, I think there'll be some more news to come out of the Mariners uh, in the next week or see. So um, if you're listening to the podcast, keep your eyes peeled on the 442 website in the next week or so. What, do you know who, will they reveal who it was? or what's, can No, you... no, I'm, I'm talking about some, some other news related to that, but... Um, I don't want to talk too much about right. the story. Yeah. I read the story, but um, basically, now from what, from what I understand, yeah, there's been a number of leaks. Um, I think the more pressing one is the leak of tactical information to Sydney FC, which is the allegation they made, not leaking to journalists, because I mean, I think that happens in every club, in every sport, uh, particularly in football. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the, the issue uh, before the Sydney FC game, and obviously, which Sydney FC won. So uh, yeah, it's worrying times. Was there an actual leak of tactics? I kind of thought that might have been a little bit of a smokescreen when they were actually just trying to track down who'd been talking to journalists. Yeah, well, that's that's the allegation that's been made. I mean, it's, there's a bit of smoke and mirrors, isn't there? Um, but but you know, the ready ready situations going on. Obviously, Eddie Bosnar's left. Um, yeah, it's it's quite a big thing to ask players to to give in their phone records. If it was me, I, I wouldn't be doing it. I just. Um, I... You know, I've been really impressed by what Tommy Wamsley's done, but there just seems to be this tendency amongst new managers to get carried away mm. with the, the power. Mm. And Phil Stubbins did it at Newcastle Jets when he started isolating players and trying to sack them. Now Tony Wamsley seems to be falling into the same trap. You don't see these kind of incidents happening with wilier, uh, more experienced managers and you know when you, you suddenly find yourself inventing the wheel maybe you should look and see if some, there's another way of doing this because somebody probably already has invented the wheel uh, and uh, yeah I just I think Tony's putting himself into a corner that he's going to possibly find it hard to get out of and it's and it's odd that managers 
won't try and keep the players in the fold and maybe one day you'd need a Bosnar to come back into the squad or you'll need Reddy, say Kepa gets injured. Um, same with Stubbins, maybe one day you'll need Joel Griffiths. It's, yeah. it's part of man management to keep them happy. Even though they're not playing, you've got to still keep the players that aren't playing happy because yep. you'll never know when you need them. And just you saying, we'll just get rid of them, I think so. Because you, you had them at the beginning of the season. You were happy to have them at the beginning of the season. So every player who's not playing is not going to be happy. It's how you manage that. Yep. How you, how you manage think, the harmony of the team. And to just... I think it's... Go sorry, on. Go on. No, no, go on. I was just going to say, I think it's hard uh, for coaches coming in, particularly with long-established players who perhaps aren't on their radar, but, but moving them on is quite hard because they have a, a fair say in the dressing room and often uh, deservedly so. But, mm. yeah, it's, it's definitely a fine line. I mean... Um, it's, it's, it goes back to an, uh, one of my little bugbears that these people are not coaches, they are managers. And if you're a coach, you shouldn't be running the team. Coaches are just responsible for drills on the on the, the mm. pitch, for trying to get the best out of the, out of the players in terms of skills. Uh, these people are managers. They've got to man manage their players, the team, the club, the whole morale. Uh, and if you change that title and make them think they're just coaches, problems seem to erupt. Mm. Uh, it's it's the guys who behave, act, and adopt the manager position that are more successful for me. Um, I just, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's a silly little bit of pedantics, but it, it does seem to make a huge difference. Graham Arnold's an example. Last exactly. year, wasn't there rumblings with Shane Smeltz? He wasn't playing, and there were other... He even said in the media, there's players here that don't like me. Yeah. But eventually, he got them on board, and he, you, you he went, didn't need you Smeltz work, at some point during the you season. You worked on it. And, you know, I think... We're only going to very briefly touch on last weekend's yeah. games and the upcoming weekend's games uh, because there's been so much else happening. Um, but, you know, we are a third of the way, approaching a third of the way into the yeah. season now. Uh, the biggest player for Newcastle Jets, without a doubt this season, David Carney, mm. who wouldn't even be there yeah. under Phil Stubbins. Um uh, and, you know, it's not because the rest of the team are poor. It's just that Carney is a standout. Mm. Was always going to be a standout. He's more than capable of shining at this level, this league, uh, even at his age. Uh, and Stubbins chose to shun mm. that skill. And that's just really bad man management. Really bad man the, management. I think the interesting thing with the um, Mariners, though, is that um, they've actually been playing quite well. I mean, I know <coughs> the results haven't been outstanding. I think they're... Eight, but um, you know, watching the derby on the weekend, I think the red card was right, but they actually played the Jets off the park with with ten men, and um, you know, against City, I think they had more chances, more shots on goal. Um, so they're probably a little bit unlucky to be where they are, and I think you know, I think I think they're actually playing reasonably well. So. Oh yeah, I mean, it's entertaining to watch. So. Definitely, you can't I mean, say I, that of the Jets under Stubbins last season. That's for sure. I would watch every single uh, Mariners game because it is always guaranteed to be entertaining football at the moment, uh, far more than just about any other club. Um, but you got to get that <clears throat> get that harmony in the dressing room right, and it's fair enough. You, you know, you can try and move players on, etc. Um, but you got to do it. You, confrontational styles and witch hunts and phone records handing over, that's that's not going to end well. That's just not no. going to end well. You're treating your players like criminals. Criminals are children, you know, and 
players just aren't going to respond to that. That's not the way to build a team uh, by any manner of means. It doesn't matter if the players are innocent or guilty. That's not the way to do it. That's not the way to go about things. Uh, there has to be a better way. But uh, that's for Tony to uh, to deal with in the, the days ahead. Um, just briefly then, let's look at uh, last week's games. Uh, again, key player for the victory is obviously Bezart Borussia. Wow. Uh, the, this fourth, the fourth goal was it the fourth goal that he scored where he um, uh, was hugging the touchline and just shot a shot um, across the goal that was superb superb because he's he's a winger I think Barisha he started off as a winger um, and that was superb wing play and that was the, that was the difference with Melbourne right they they didn't have a lot of that game in patches and then all of a sudden it's four yeah. two and Sydney were leading for. I think f- five minutes, then nine minutes, and then uh, victory just took their chances. And Sydney, um, w- I think they were really unlucky in that game. They hit a, they hit the post on two occasions in one in one move, but they just couldn't finish off the, their possession and their chances when they had it. And victory just showed they're ruthless. And yep. I think um, your Finklers and your Barishas are the difference. That those two players, the quality they have, Sydney don't have that quality at the moment. I, I'm giving victory the, the the treble right now. Right now, yeah. I can't see any way that Enemy's going to beat them. To mm. be honest, they've been a, it was a slow burn at the beginning of the season, but uh, they're hitting the straps now. And even if they have critical injuries uh, to certain players, they've got the depth to cover it for the rest of the season. I can't see anyone stopping them. Uh, I, I think, think since you put the mockers. Since you put the mockers on Borussia, Kevin, he's just yep. you're wrong every week. So. I, but, <laughs> it's going to be a hat trick this weekend. I, I really think I should be on some sort of commission for that one, to be you, honest. You Craig Fostered him. <laughs> did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but not, 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 not as perhaps as, uh, as violently as possibly. Um, yeah. No, I think, I think um, that was just an outstanding game, uh, the Big Blue. Um, you know, two great teams, talented teams, really going at it. Um, you know, it was it was fantastic to see, and yeah, I think Sydney were a little bit unlucky, but geez, victory are <clears throat> pretty special when they get going, aren't they? Classic seesaw derby, wasn't it? The way just two ebbed and flowed. Um, the other side that uh, seemed to be uh, starting to find their feet and make a run for the t- uh, for challenging Western Sydney Wanderers. Yes, three in a row. Yeah, that's insane from nowhere from and what looked like a, a really dud team, to be honest. And I Craig fostered them as well yep. by saying they're so boring. They're and there you go, three in a row, and um, it's good times Others. to be a Wanderers fan for once. Yeah, uh, well, once, for once but for, uh, again, again, again. Sorry. Butters, <laughs> a.k.a. Mitch Nichols. Jeez, isn't he, isn't he playing well? Again, awesome. you know, if you had to pick one key player for each team, he would certainly be my pick for the Wanderers. Uh, just pivotal for them this season. Uh, and looking so fit. Yeah. So fit. I've never seen him look so fit. The Blondies are on fire this season, eh? They are, yeah. Roy and Nichols. Yeah, definitely. I don't think Moy's got that much hair. Yeah, but what there is is blonde. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of... As Kevin, I, as Kevin would... I, I sympathise with him there. <laughs> What's there is is really quite attractive. There's just not a lot of it. But when um, when Western Sydney's lethal Italian target man starts scoring, you know things are going well. It's <laughs> 57,000th chance. Yes. You could, uh, to be fair, you know, every time I've seen him uh, miss... 
the look of determination, disappointment and frustration in Peter Vicari's face has been immense. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's finally finding the, uh, the target. Um, Brisbane Roar, still doing an awesome job. Mm. Uh, John Eloisi uh, needs more clout in there, but uh, apart from that, <laughs> can't argue with the results. Uh, he's, he's, he's even picking a 17-year-old up front over Clute. I know. Like, what's going I know. on? It's just, there's just no way in there for Clute at the moment. And you got to wonder what Clute's got to do, but he'll get there. As his agent, as his agent Kevin, you should be speaking now. <laughs> I'm just going to be reminding John that the uh, the January window's coming up and I may have to speak, uh, speak to other clubs to see what options are available for him. <laughs> 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 Alright, I've got to go, gentlemen. I have a meeting with um, All right. an interviewee. Catch you later. Nice to um, spend time with you again. And Thanks you for your week. time. No worries. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Carl. Just you and me, John, but we're just going to wrap this up pretty quickly now because we've hit the hour mark already. Um, the uh, Melbourne City, just completely off the boil with no Aaron Moy there. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's strange how quickly that team seems to become a a one-man team with Moy. I mean, they have got some some really classy players, but um, I think uh, they seem to just sort of lack in certain positions. You know, a few players playing out of position there. So uh, yeah, it goes back to the. Have to... It's the uh, the old uh, Serie catch cry of no Pilo, no party, no Moy, no more goals. Um, yeah, it's 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 as good as it gets. So the, I've compared Moy now to Zidane, Pirlo. I'm gonna um, and said he's probably gonna equal or surpass Harry Kuehl. So there's no pressure on Moy there at all for me. No, not that we ever hype players up. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mariners, we've talked about still struggling on and off the field, uh, but entertaining as they go. Uh, Wellington Phoenix, Ruli Bonavecchia, and Krishna. How much have they stepped up this season? Yeah, I think Bonavecchia we saw. Last season, I mean, um, probably didn't. A lot of people didn't know much about, you know, an Ajax, a product of Ajax, and just I think he's 23, 24. He's just a great player. Um, I think any team would would love to have him, and you know, Christian's come along the last couple of years as well. So that's, you know, he's people talk about the um, the end of the Phoenix. I think Christian's the sort of player. Uh, Fijian, I think, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Solomon. Island. Yeah. I mean, he wouldn't have got an opportunity anywhere else. So it's it's great to have that sort of. Nationality represented and someone like him coming through, but yeah, I think Phoenix are, uh, have got a point to prove um, and a good crowd as well um, behind them. Yeah, um, it was interesting. The uh, twenty nine thousand there was for the the Derby watched the Derby on Fox, which is just a a dreadful figure. Uh, yeah, I think I, I tweeted. Um, I think following your tweet this morning, I tweeted Tony Pignano about it. He was sort of talking about context and question of metrics and obviously the the, the, the metric system isn't great with people and etc but that's the system that we have um, you know it's been used for how many years and across different genres of TV well we can't really win you about the metric system um, it's just yeah it's, it's not good is it yeah I mean I think you know Pinata makes the point fairly that uh, you know football was still number one uh, program across all of pay TV uh, over the weekend, and that's that's pretty good claim to fame. But still, figures like twenty nine thousand. 
I don't know how the FFA are going to sell that as an uh, for sell an increased TV deal on the back of figures well, like these. That's that's exactly it. I mean, they're they're basically asking for double, aren't they? Yeah, eighty million a year, and the ratings of you know depending on if you're talking SBS or Fox, but both are down. Um, you know, up to around to I think it's twenty or thirty percent. You know, combined. Um, how the hell would you or why the hell would you double? Yeah. Um, I think that that's just very, very optimistic. But hopefully things will pick up. I mean, I think also the, the figures have been slightly skewed because looking back, last year's figures were exceptional, the viewing figures. Uh, yeah. And if you take it back over the average over the, the previous years prior to that, we're about on track, uh, there or thereabouts. Uh, but last year's was very, very good. Uh, we just stepped, made a huge step backwards this year. Unfortunately. Um, meanwhile, down in Adelaide, uh, I have to say it's not looking good for uh, Amor. No, no. I mean, um, I think I think we've talked we talked about this last week. Um, I can't really see a change at this point, particularly you know with the fact that no being no relegation, but and also saying that um, we haven't seen owners' boards being. Um, you know, they've been fairly lethal in the past, even though there has been no relegation. So, um, yes, worrying side. I think the real problem with that is there. You know, particularly Karoska just doesn't seem right. He just doesn't seem like the player of past seasons where he's been one of the best in the league. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, Adelaide's just not providing any threat. That's the thing. You know, the, the, there's nothing there. I can't see areas for. That they've grown in in anything, uh, it's just a massive step backwards across the field. Players that were previously shining, I mean, Tarek Elridge is probably the only one who's maintained his form from last year, uh, last season, and even he's just yeah, because of the nature of the team, it's just not happening for them. Um, yeah, I, I don't want, I don't think it would necessarily be a good idea to to ditch uh, Amor. But I can't see any signs of improvement at the moment. At least with uh, a Josip, you could see what he was trying to achieve. I can't see what Amor is trying to do apart from more of the same and just not doing it well at all. Yeah, I, I definitely miss, uh, apart from his coaching, his, um, his cheering on the sideline, his press conferences gone out. But uh, I think it's a crucial game against Newcastle. If they lose that, uh, I think the writing's on the wall for him. You would but, think you know, if they can get a if they can get a draw or even you know or jag a win, um, then you can see things set around. So it's it's an important game, but yeah, it definitely doesn't look good at the moment. As it stands, uh, I, I find it hard to bet against the Jets, to be honest. Well, interesting reading um, I had the other day about that Mariners game. Obviously, the Jets dominated possession, but they have the equal record for the lowest shots um, per game. I think nine attempts on goal. Um, and, you know, they dominated the ball, but they just couldn't really uh, create much or finish. So that's that's a bit of a worry for them. I and mean, they're obviously very well organised and defensively minded, but um, you're yeah. going to need to sort of improve in that final third. Yeah, the new uh, the uh, Trofinovic and Alidovic still don't seem to have gelled as a, an attacking unit partnership, really. Uh, and if Leonardo's out for a while, which you know, looked to be injured after that McGinn challenge, that definitely be a blow so well, definitely. it'll be a, a bit of a test perhaps coming up for Newcastle after a very good start in the next couple of weeks that's true um, meanwhile who else have we got um, 
Central Manager Brisbane Roar. No, I think we've pretty much... T- oh, Perth. Perth, that's who we've not talked about. Um, just struggling manfully on, pretty much, really, aren't they? Yeah, they they are. Just, I mean, I think I think most people predicted it was going to be a difficult season for Perth, and you know, I think that's I think that's the case. Um, you know, virtually a new squad um, lost a lot of quality. I mean, you look at the players who've left. Um, speaking to a couple of them recently, like Danny De Silva and Austin Griffiths, um, you know, and then you've got obviously um, others who who have gone McLaren. Um, you know, uh, Andy Keogh, um Yeah, I just uh, think it's going to be. I, I can't really see them making the six. I mean, it's still very long out, but I, I, I can't really see it this season. Now, I think it's. Uh, I really think they're going to struggle to to make much impact. Um, but it's still very early days, and uh, you never know who might be waiting the sidelines for a guest slot or uh, late season signing uh, who could th- reinvent the whole side. Yeah, I just don't think there's much cap room for both. Yes. <laughs> Funnily enough. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have to wait and see. You know, that's that's the thing with the A League. A couple of a couple of wins can can jolt you right up the table. So we'll see. All right, mate. Well, I think we probably should wrap this up because we uh, time seems to be pressing on. I'll let you get back to uh, life in the UK and possibly bed. Yes, time for bed. Good stuff. Thanks for joining me, and uh, thanks for listening in uh, to 442 FM. Uh, We'll be back next week, hopefully with a full team. Uh, And in the meantime, enjoy your football, enjoy the weekend. Thanks, so. Goodbye.